When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going very well. Thank you, Andrew. Awesome. Today, we welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, legendary saxophonist, Mark Rivera. Mark has been a part of Billy Joel's band longer than anybody else, and also performed for many years as part of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band, and can be heard on such timeless classics, other than Billy songs, as Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and Big Time, Foreigner's Urgent, and obviously so many hits uh, with Billy Joel since he joined the band in 1982. Mark was also on stage with John Lennon at his final public performance. He's an excellent vocalist, can play guitar, bass, flute, percussion, and keyboards as well. Please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Mark Rivera. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be on with everybody. Mark, we're glad to have you, man. So we've already chatted, yourself and I, a few times, and at length, the first time we talked about the legendary Moby Grape Band. 
Moby Grape. We're, we're Grape Heads. We're, we're Grape Heads. <laughs> grape Heads together. So, uh, man, it's good to have you on here. I want to start by yakking a little bit about your uh, Common Bond record that you did in oh. 2014. I gave mm -hmm. a deep listen to that yesterday. All of our Music Buzz listeners out there should check out this record. It's really, really great. Man, I had no idea you could sound like Felix Cavalier's uh, younger brother <laughs> when you sang. It's fab. Your voice is fabulous. It's a, it's, a it's really a damn good record. Uh, you, I I'm going to go through it track by track here. So Lorraine, great swampy acoustic guitar bass track. And then, you know, sound like you got Stills and Nash in singing harmonies with you. It's that's really fat. Well, that's fabulous, <laughs> man. So you are Crosby, Stills and Nash on your own backgrounds. Man, that's beautiful. And then the second tune, Sticky Situation, totally different. A Stonesy rocker. That's a killer track. <laughs> Start over. It kind of reminds me of a later period Rascals kind of a feel. Hmm. Again, reminding me of you know felix on there and uh love the spill the wine-ish percussion and flute and stuff and <laughs> very cool stuff man great track now spanish castle magic here we are four tunes into that record and this is the first one it's got sax on it right it starts right, with right. kind of condensa and it's a great track staying pretty close to the original until billy comes in and plays the organ right on yeah, that yeah, yeah. he <laughs> kicks some ass on that and then you do a nice sax solo, smoking on that. And then the jam at the end is great. You guys just kind of, I don't know if you planned that or what, but. Oh, it's just, it just came together. It, it, yeah. it, a lot of the greatest stuff, in my opinion, just happens because you allow, it's, it's organic. Yeah. And there were, uh, there were five guys in the room when we did that. Uh, the rhythm section's probably my favorite group of guys in New York. It's Jeff Kazee, Charlie Drayton on drums. I wondered if it was Charlie. I knew he was on yeah, the record. Char yeah. Charlie's on a lot of that record. And, yeah. um, uh Stephen john conti Stephen john conti are on that as well okay and that and then billy played he opened up the keyboard but it, like i appreciate that it, it it is kind of an organic track and i'm a massive hendrix fan i had a, i have a band that uh we we do some gigs i call it sax as bold as love we do uh <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> we, you go. we do this, gotta love we do that this. yeah that's one of my favorite records of all time the original access that is absolutely my favorite I mean, that's hands down my favorite hendrix record yeah uh, his, the writing is fantastic uh i mean a lot of people forget what a great lyricist he is yep his lyrics exactly. i mean uh spanish castle magic uh oh, i'm sorry the one that really comes to mind is um if six was nine for me six was nine six was nine like the most philosophical you know fall mountains just don't fall on me yeah and man. uh and then uh and uh, let castle my free flag fly right yeah. let my free point on mr businessman you can't dress like me <laughs> <laughs> i love but, uh, it yeah but uh yeah thank you I, I thank you for that man. yeah i mean it's it's great and then money 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 i have my english drummer friend on that one yeah Ringo, Ringo's on that one. Oh, Ringo is on oh, that okay. one. Uh, <laughs> I knew who he meant. <laughs> yeah, it's actually on that one. It's Ringo and uh, Will Lee play bass on that. Very nice. I've met Will quite a few times. He's a great guy. What a player, too. Geesh. But that's a that's a great tune. Now, the next tune on the record, the, the Tell Me All the Things You Do, I was listening to that, and I was going, man, I, I've heard this before. He sure it sure has. Yeah, well, and then I figured <laughs> it out, because then I, I Googled it, and I said, yeah, because I've got that Kiln House record. Mm -hmm, that's one of my favorite. Fleet, old Fleetwood Mac record from about yeah. 1970 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, it's, tell Me, and my other favorite song, my other 
one of my favorite tunes on that is like if, if, if Station Man on that record. Station Man, yeah, yeah. Station Man. Talk about swamp. It's a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt that one grabbed me. And I got to play harmonica on that one. That's right. <laughs> I didn't know that that was you. So, man, we'll, we'll talk about your multi-instrumental skills <laughs> because, dude, taking a deep dive into your past, it's pretty amazing. Turn Me Loose. It sounds like an Rascals outtake, man. Like I got a nice kind of 66 garagey kind of feel. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and when you dance so good, that's the only song on the record that you really kind of show off the low end of your voice. And it's great, <laughs> man. And you, well, when you guys... You. And you guys did the Rolling Stones. My favorite thing is, you know, how they'd come in like on Brown Sugar. All of a sudden on the last verse, there come the maracas. Yeah, when, yeah. You, when you did that, uh, the second verse hits and I went, okay, I bet you they were going, let's do the Stones here. And you know, you look, it's all, it, look, it's all, we're, we're all uh, creatures of our, every, every, every aspect of our music, everybody I've ever played with and every band or every record I ever listened to has affected what I do, uh, you said the Rascals. I'm a huge fan of the Rascals. Felix is one of my favorite singers. Maracas on on a Brown Sugar. I bet your mama was a Jensen Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the Maracas it. going. It's all. It's uh. It's like is it Jimmy Miller when he did all those great records with uh, yeah. with Traffic and the Stones. And I mean, there was there were stories about uh, uh, at the end of Jeremy's the Fantasy where he was in the in the in the uh, studio in the control room. He ran into the into the actual room where they're recording and starts shaking tamarines and and (laughs) telling people he got the double time thing going that's where it came from wow i didn't know that at the end of the the fans oh yeah that's all him jimmy mills all the percussion of that that bell on uh i'm a man yeah it's all that's all his thing well and he did honky talk women that's him playing cowbell on that probably the same cowbell yeah, it probably was. <laughs> so I read somewhere about, and I know it was maybe just a, a tongue in cheek, but about the saxophone that fell off the back of a truck. Your first sax. Oh tell, yeah. Well, tell us about getting started with that whole thing. Well, my my uncle Vinny was the uh, the my godfather. My uncle Vinny was the uh, what was he superintendent uh, at the Red Hook Projects, which is a really funky area in Brooklyn, which is now trendy. You can't even get in there. But back in the day, it was a very heavy uh, black and Hispanic and uh, projects. They were projects. And right. the thing, the longshoremen would come by uh, every once in a while. And they, they'd, off the back of a truck, they'd sell stuff like, you know, 10 cents on the dollar. Ah. So the, uh, the joke was, yeah, I fell off the back of a truck. My old man was able to afford $50 for a saxophone because he sure as hell couldn't pay $300 for it. So Gotcha. Yeah. Your first sax was hot. Heck yeah. <laughs> Dude, think of that. I like that. Thank you. I, and it continues to be today. It's, yeah. It sure is. I'm going to quote you on that. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I encourage our listeners to uh, to check out the Common Bond record. It's really good, man. You notice the last song uh, was written by um, Karen Karen Mano. She wrote that entire song. I wanted the rise? last song to kind of, yeah, Rise. Oh, it's a beautiful last- song. Yeah. yeah, I love. In fact, I wanted the last song to be kind of like a spiritual, like you know, this is what this is all about. Come back together. And she said, "I have an idea for a song. Why don't you, I'll play this song and I'll sing it through, and you tell me if you want to change some stuff." She played it. I almost cried. I said, "You know what? It's perfect just as it is." So the, the demo we did in in her bedroom, not like that, but we <laughs> we were in the bedroom. We we had a Logic recording going on, and the two of us. She played. I sang, and then. Uh, Jimmy Braylauer, my, my producer, co-writer, he said, 
buddy, why don't you ask Steve Luker to play some guitar on it? And he did. And it's just, it just, the whole thing just went up. That bedroom recording became the master or that was just the template well, for the, the... The bedroom recording was her piano is, the, is what you hear. That's it. Oh, nice. Piano, yeah. and, and a lot of the, a lot of the vocals, I, I went back and redid some vocals. I'm going to redo that song because it, it deserves a real second look with some strings and things that we just never really got to do. That could be beautiful. Yeah. But Luke, Luke is uh is a crazy talent. So I mentioned earlier you joined Billy Joel's band in 1982, but 10 years prior to that, 1972, you toured with Sam and Dave. And I wonder oh, how, yeah. how did that come about for you? Uh, <laughs> a dear friend of mine, Marty Castori, guitar player, he'd already done one tour. I think it might have been late. It might have been like 73. My, my time frame was always a little bit, but it's my own fault that I probably wrote the wrong thing. I'm, I'm notorious for that. But uh, Marty had already done one tour. And... Uh, uh, they just wanted to replace the sax player. And my friend, Marty and I were the only two white guys in the band. And Marty said, hey, would you, would you like to play with Sam and Davis? It's hell. I had already played all those songs. Hold on, I'm coming, soul man. Uh, I thank you. And I got to sing all those. Would not love me like you did, but you did. All, all that stuff was really, <laughs> it, re it resonated with me. So sure. the opportunity to play with Sam and Davis, like, hell yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So, did you ever hear the story about some of that? What how how I got the gig? No, yeah. let's hear that. Uh, let's hear. Uh, I I was in a, a rehearsal, and uh, you know I, I brought my alto because the alto was the only sack that I had had at that time. I didn't even play tenor yet, and um, I would go to go to rehearsal, and everything's cool. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm playing all the parts. Da -da -da -ba -da -da -da. I got them down mm -hmm. again, and uh, I'm sorry, my things being, uh, uh, and then the uh, mm -hmm. band leader. Uh, I'm sorry for the beeps in there. The band leader, um, Ben Little, stout black dude, looks over at me. Hey, you're good. He goes, you blow Barry? I said, sure, man, I blow Barry. Yeah, no problem. I never touched a Barry sax in my life. <laughs> so that night, I went and borrowed 100 bucks from my old man, rented a saxophone from Ponty's, shedded the parts, played it. I mean, it weighed about half as much as I did as a skinny kid, and I'm playing Barry. So I go back the next day with my Barry, and uh, then I had to learn. Ben said, oh, yeah, you got the part. You're good. You got the gig. Goes, now you got to learn the steps. I got to learn the steps. Because, yeah, you got you to gotta go sideways and then down. And when you go down, the trumpet player is coming across your head. So you better be going down. <laughs> <laughs> There's no so, room for error. There is no room for error. Two days later, we opened up for Ray Charles at Central Park. No pressure there. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, yeah. How long did you? How long were you out with those guys? About eight nine months, and it got it got a little bit thick. Uh, the bass player didn't like me because I played. I enjoyed playing his bass once in a while, and uh, you know at the time we were drinking and carrying on, and uh, something must have happened with a girl or something. But a uh, one car ride as we're going by, he said, "I'm going to cut a white man's heart out." And I'm like, and he had a knife out. I'm like. This is not good. I didn't feel very comfortable. <laughs> so, uh, no, yeah, I think so the, it's time to bail. Yeah. yeah, well, as it turns out, they fired the bass player and left him at a, a truck stop. And they must, I, it was the craziest thing I, I'd ever been through, but it was a, a scary drive, man. It's a really scary sure. drive. Wow. Close calls. What inspired you to start on an alto sax? It was the one, my, the, the one that fell off the truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was the, Price the was hot, right. It was that hot horn we talked about. <laughs> yeah, there was it was the alto. It wasn't that you were listening to other people who 
you know, inspired no. you. Yeah. Okay. I, I would honestly, uh, if I was eight or nine, I was listening to, uh, it was pre four tops. I mean, my favorite, my favorite music when I was about 11 and the first time I really heard a saxophone that really jumped out of me was, uh, one of the four tops songs, uh, Sugar Pie Honey Bun, uh, uh, the same old song, it's like that thick Barry sack. And yeah. that, that, and uh, the voice that I really loved was, um, was Levon Stubbs, Levi Stubbs, rather. And yeah, I, I didn't let, look, I, I don't, I'm not a, a bop player. I never listened to Charlie Parker to be, I mean, I listened to him, but I never tried to emulate that sound. Uh, I just it, it wasn't my thing. Uh, People say, who are your favorite saxophone players? I, say, I like Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck. Yeah. Those are the guys. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the music I emulate. That's, that's right. really what I hear. In my, when I hear licks, I hear that stuff. Yeah. The vibrato, like the Hendrix's stuff, to me, to this day, is the greatest phrasing and, and rhythmic stuff. Amen. Take us back to, you know, 2021 marks 40 years since Foreigner released uh, their biggest record, Four. Mm-hmm. Um, Lang produced. And yeah. you are on... What uh, I would argue is maybe the most well-known sax part of a rock song, but then there's another song that we'll talk about that you also play on. So you obviously, you I don't we could argue which one's bigger, urgent or slow. Well, you know, it's ju- <laughs> it's not me. The, the sax solo, is Junior. You know that. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're yeah, playing but that, on the that, song. Yeah, yeah. That bit, you know, that uh, actually uh, that that happened like in in an instant. Uh, Mutt and I had met in '75, I think it was. Uh, we, I was in a band called Tycoon mm-hmm. and uh, Clive Davis, we wanted to have, um, we wanted Jack Douglas to produce a record because he produced the demos and Clive said, no, if you want Jack, you have to go with, uh, go with Atlantic. So he gave us <laughs> another $50,000. He said, well, uh, you, I want you to use this new producer, Mutt Lang. We all said, what the, what the hell is a Mutt Lang? <laughs> and no one knew, no one knew who he was. Turns out he and I became very close and he called me for Foreigner. And then when I got called to do the gig, I was playing a gig in tra- at tracks in the city. So I got home from my six- to my sixth floor walk up at about one o'clock in the morning. Mutt says, I'm wondering if Marcus, if you can come down to, to Electric Lady. I said, yeah, man, I'll be bailing me tomorrow. He goes, no, I mean right now. I said, oh, I'm kind of shagged. And he said, well, I'm cutting Foreigner's new record. I'm like, boom, down, hit it. <laughs> and I got there. And that bit, that's the first thing I played. Wow. Wow. Swear to God. The first thing I played and Mick and Lou were inside playing foosball and doing other stuff while Mutt, they thought was just getting sounds. Uh, about four hours later, after every different uh, gyration of the same song, try this, double track that, try that. And Mutt could bring this in. He presses the playback button and they're like, that's great. It sounds like spells like a, like a Morse code is fabulous. And Mutt said that was the first thing he played when he walked in. Wow! Yeah, man. So that, you know, don't 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 fight your your instincts. Yeah, that's what it comes right. out to. Anytime somebody tells me, same as sledgehammer. First thing I played, swear to God, oh, that line that was you. Absolutely. I was going to ask you if that was sort of dictated or, or partially written with Peter. There was not a note written. The track that we heard was just Manu, just Manu Cachet, um, Tony Levin. I uh, forget who the guitar player was in some some weird synthy sounds. Larry Fast, I think, was the original uh, synth yeah, player on that. Them, yeah, yeah. And basically, there was not this. Myself and Wayne Jackson, may he rest in peace, and trombone player, I can't remember his name. But I'm listening to the track. For, my ear goes, I don't have perfect pitch, 
but it's an E flat. Yeah. Do you know? You want to know what sledgehammer? What sledgehammer is? It's superstition. It resonated. The sound song resonated, and the first thing I played, and Peter just double that, double that, and we just ended up having like a, we we would uh, play like I think I did two tenors and uh, two barries. Mm. on the track it's a great part it's pretty cool i got thank uh. you it's pretty <laughs> hell yeah it's cool come on now yeah. <laughs> where did you record that song at at the power place? station at okay. the power station yeah okay. and daniel lenoir was the uh, in fact the craziest thing i talked about the, the club tracks where i'd walked up the stairs and mike called me uh the same club tracks which was on 72nd street in manhattan I played with the, 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 the late, great Yogi Porton. I don't know if any of you know Yogi, Yogi, the drummer. Yes, I know of him. Yogi was tremendous. Bet Sussman played keyboards. and Jimmy Rip, the guitar player. It was this band we backed everybody with. And one night there was a singer, songwriter, this young lady. And uh, she, was, she brought a new level to the word mediocre. So she wasn't that good. So anyway, her old man was, uh, he's like, you know, hey, I hustle and do some stuff. Turns out I gave him my card, or I gave him my number, didn't have cards back then. And uh, fast forward, like four years later, he calls me up. He says, hey, Mark, I wonder if you came down to the studio. Um, and I'm saying, oh, crap, I hope it's not your old lady. <laughs> it turns out, he goes, come down to the power station. I'm doing Peter Gabriel's new record. Like, whoa. But that came out of me just doing a gig in a club. And that's, wow. you know, anytime people tell me about, like, how does stuff happen? It happens because you're present. It happens because... I, that gig that might've been like 12 people in the room, five of us being in the band, you know what I'm saying? There's nobody in the room, but right. you play, you put it out there because aside from you never know, the most important thing is that's what you do. People ask Billy, well, are you ever going to retire? And he said, what the hell else would I do? Hmm. Yeah. What else? Would yeah. I, what, what do I do? You know what I mean? Right. Sure. So that call came from Danny then, is that right? No, that call came from Jimmy Phelan, the okay. producer's rep. I and see. he represented Danielle. I see. Okay. And I didn't know Danielle Lenoir at the time. I mean, he was happening, but I didn't have any connection to him. Well, it's a, it's not quite six degrees of separation, but I used to record in his uh, Grant Avenue studio in Hamilton, Ontario, when he and Bobby owned the studio. And this guy was tiptoeing around the hallway with his 24 track, who, who ended up being Brian Eno. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. so we have that kind of history, but then I've since watched him, you know, head off to YouTube territory and Peter's project. Well, yeah. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's just a thread of how things and the connectivity. I mean, uh, it's, we're all, we're all the, the, the really good ones. And I'm not saying myself as a great player. I'm just saying the people with the real spirit are cut mm -hmm. from a certain cloth. Yep. Yeah. I know you, I know you spoke with, uh, if I, if I remember right, Andy, you done, uh, you've spoken to Nils Lofgren, right? Yeah. yeah, we spoke to yeah. Nils, and we also spoke to Jerry Murata, who played on. Well, those uh, are all the same guys. Jerry's Jerry's one of my heroes. I mean, he's, uh, mm -hmm. these are all the same. They'll tell you the same thing. Jerry will probably tell you how many times he played at tracks or JPs in the city, and we all came up through that whole that whole scene. But uh, it's the spirit, it's the the fabric that I think we're all cut from, and yeah. uh, you can, you can't fake that. Now I have a question for you on the on the Peter side. So I know you played on Big Time as well, but mm -hmm. were you also on Mercy Street? There's something on Mercy Street or in your eyes. I can't remember which one it was. Okay. It's, okay. <clears throat> the reason I can't remember is because of some weird background or it's like a backward saxophone they put on there. 
<laughs> but yes, there's three tracks. Yeah, you know. In fact, what's really funny is that you get you know, get some some residual checks, and so that's big time was in a, a car commercial at one point, and I got mm. <laughs> I got paid to play. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you gotta love <laughs> that. that. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. The crazy stuff just happens, and you know, I, I'm I'm begin, I've been more and more of a believer in. I don't know if we want to call God's plan or the universal plan. Just stay the hell out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let stuff yeah. unfold because so much stuff gets, we get so much wrapped up in how we think it's going to happen. Right. And we don't have a clue. Well, I'll tell you what's most amazing. And one of the most amazing things is, man, your versatility on instruments. So I, I was reading something about it, you were being interviewed about being in, in, you know, the band leader for Ringo and mm-hmm. all the different things that like you were Okay, you played acoustic guitar and sang background on. I'm your captain. Yeah, I'm your, I'm I'm your, your captain. captain. Yeah. And even which was, that's must have been a, a tingly moment. I mean, my oh, yeah. lord, what a classic! But to me, dude, you figured out Matthew Fisher's organ part on "Wider Shade of Pale" and woodshedded that and went up and played it. That, you know the story about that, right? I read about <laughs> it, so but I want to hear it from you. Well, Gar- Gary Brokers, he's one of my heroes. He's- I love Gary. I love Gary's voice. I love his whole being. He's got a, <clears throat> a nautical name for everyone. Uh, this one's a, the first mate. He called me the stoker. Stoker means a guy who shovels the coal into the fire to yeah. keep, the, keep yeah. the engine going. Okay. Yeah. So I'll stoker. I'll stoke you. A good one. He goes. And then we got ready because uh, I was the MD. Uh, and I was saying, oh, we're going to do this song. We're going to do that song. And I said, oh, today uh, we're going to do Whitey Shade of Pale. And I'm thinking, I know the piano part. I'm sit down and block the chords because it's pretty easy to block the chords. And he looks over and goes, oh, no, Stoker. On this one, you play the Hammond organ. And I'm like, uh, actually, we're going to do Conquista. We're going to do Conquistador today. And we're going to get back to you tomorrow. Turns out I, I, I brought uh, a Korg back in, a Korg keyboard, and spent like four hours and shedded it. Hours. And the, I used to have the whole set, and it would go great. And I'd spend the whole set thinking, Oh crap! I gotta go and play white shade of pale. It's like it's like lear, remember, <laughs> oh, the little rasc- remember the little rascals. Learn that poem. Mm-hmm. Learn that poem. <laughs> it's like I gotta go in there. But every night I was able to pull it together. And every night Gary would say, "How about Walter Rivera on the organ?" I'm like, Whew. I mean, they got, <laughs> got through that there. one again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. again, we were on a ninety degree angle. He's sitting here singing. I'm hearing his voice in oh, his wedges, and I'm here on my B three. It was a, one of the oh, greatest man. moments. Oh, it was uh, no that, that was a trip. That was a trip. But that's one of the greatest songs of all time. One of the greatest oh, yeah. vocal. Oh, I man. love it. I think it's one of McCartney's favorite songs too. <clears throat> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt yeah, it. Yeah, I that do. organ line too is you know wow. Yeah, I went to school during my teens in England, and there was a chapel in the school, and the music teacher gave me the keys to the pipe organ. So every lunchtime around that, oh, wow. Time, I went, it, it wasn't a Hammond. It was like bigger than a Hammond. It was crazy. For me to play Whiter Shade of Pale on that organ was, was sick. Did you guys ever do Salty Dog when Gary was out? He did it as a solo because oh, um, did he? at the time, everybody, uh, well, the three guys, um, Peter Frampton, Jack Bruce, and and uh, and Gary Brooker would each get a, a, a solo tune every other night. Uh, Gary Brooker did a couple of times. Um, he did uh, Salty Dog. Well, and then one night, his friend um, happened to be in town, so he did Power Failure. Oh, I love that one. That's a great one. Running out of broken window. And he, at the end of the tour, at the end of the tour, he printed out the lyric 
And it's all about chaos of touring. Um, you know, falling out of broken windows, climbing out of broken windows, blah, 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 shattered glass, uh, power failure. And at the bottom of it, she said, dear Mark, this is what touring used to be like before I met you. Love Gary Brooker. And I'm like, wow, uh, wow. That's, that's a pr pretty, pretty special sentiment, right? Uh, uh, he was fabulous. One of, my, one of my favorite people. And that band, that band. That's not a shabby band. Jack Bruce on bass, Frampton. Come on my now. My favorite band. My favorite band. I mean, uh, I Feel Free, oh, White yeah. Room. It was just insane. What was Jack like as a guy? Jack he was Bruce. tough. He was tough. Yeah. He was, uh, I loved him. He was hard on himself. <clears throat> he had, he had his, we, look, we all have demons and stuff, but he, he was, he was tough. He was tough, but uh, he and I got on beautifully because I, I, um, I was raised, my, my old man used to say, you can be confident, but you can't be arrogant. If I know something's got to be a certain way, I'm going to tell you. Because my job is, uh, as the MD, I got to tell you something. I've, I've corrected Ringo. I've corrected Paul McCartney yeah. because that's my job. And if I don't do my job, but it's how you approach people. You yeah. could always you could say, hey, by the way, if, as long as you, you say, this is how it goes. Not like. You know, you know, you can't posture and all this crap, but uh, yeah. So Paul McCartney, I, I read about that. Was that when was were you guys doing birthday? But it was a surprise yeah. for Ringo. Ringo's seventeenth birthday. Yeah, tell us that story. We had a rehearsal at like two in the afternoon because Ringo would show up around four thirty-five o'clock for the proper sound check on the night of his birthday. So two o'clock, we had the um, Radio City blocked for it was myself, Paul, Joe Walt, uh. Rick Derringer, Edgar Winter, and um, Greg Bizanet. That was the band. So we get we meet up, uh, and we're going to run over uh, birthday. He goes, oh yeah, I haven't played that one for a while. So yeah, so we the first time we run through it, you know, the bass line goes so the bass line plays straight through. So the first time we finished it, everyone's like, yeah, that was great, that was great. Everybody's like patting each other. Yeah, we we got it. We I said, Paul, that was that was great, but the bass line, you don't stop in between. He goes, because he was going, da, da, doo, da, 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 da. he was stopping like everybody else. Like the guitar. Yeah. So I said, no, it goes, da, 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 da. Goes, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Got it. I got it. So he said, let's run it again. So we ran it the second time. And the second time we ran through it, it gets to that part. Yes, we're going to a party, party. Yes, we're going. So he came in two measures early. Uh -oh. I said, Paul, that was great. I said, but you came in two measures early on the bridge, on the release. He goes, he goes, I'll tell you what, mate. We'll do it one more time. I'll play bass, and this time you sing it, and I'll sort it out. So we're doing birthday. I'm singing birthday, and Paul McCartney's my bass player. <laughs> wow. So it's like, <laughs> but the crazy thing is everybody's looking around like, oh, man, Paul's going to fire this guy. But quite frankly, Paul was the guy – I mean, if you see, I'm sure every one of us has seen the Beatles thing about four times already. Yeah. Uh, yep. So Paul was the guy who wanted it right. Yes. So yeah. he respected me saying, no, it's not how it goes. In fact, Jimmy Braylauer, my co-producer, my, well, my producer, my co-writer, he always says, people think they know how it goes, but somebody's got to say, that's not how it goes. Right. It's like, if yeah. you listen, you and I listen to Moby Grape record. I'm yep. going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, they're like, no. Indifference at the end of indifference, with like, the Mosey's playing all this. It's like that's how it goes. You got to play it like that. Come on now. Amen. Amen. But the fact that I was able to do that again, it wasn't ego. It was just like, 
hey, they want me to get it right. So I'm going to say, but he was so, he was so incredibly respectful of, of this little fish just telling him it's wrong. <laughs> and like I said, Edgar looked over like, oh, and, and, and Joe's kind of like, just looking the other way, like pretend that I'm not there, you know? <laughs> so, but hey. What a great moment, they, man. He didn't yeah. fire me. <laughs> and I bet it was Ringo surprised over the moon. In fact, I'll tell you what, um, because a lot of drummers try to get jump on stage and they played different people have played with, with Ringo in, in the past. And I took all the drumsticks at the very end of the set. I took all the drumsticks off Ringo's kit and Jeff Jonas, Ringo's drum tech. I, I know said, Jeff. Okay. Jeff's my fave. He's, I said, Hey, when we do birthday, the only freaking person that's allowed to sit on that kit is Ringo. Nice. If he if he decides yeah. to join us, and he was like running like it's like a, a, a five year old for his birthday, <laughs> he got behind there, and to see the two of them is just spectacular. Wow. Think about it; they're the, oh, the only two living Beatles playing together. How how often it's happened again since then? Right. But yeah. that was the first time it had happened in wow. a decade, I think. It it was a moment. It was just oh. a moment, and I and I told Charles, I said. You don't give these freaking sticks to anybody but Richie. <laughs> and, and sure enough, it worked. It, it where, was it was, was just so at? great. And Radio City Musical. Radio, Radio City, City, yeah. Yeah. Was it just for that party or was the hall full of uh, Oh no, it was yeah. a, it was a ring, it was a show. It was a Ringo show. Oh, okay. It was a, I see. Okay. So. He just didn't know Paul was gonna show up. Correct. But that's yeah. why we had to do the rehearsal. we had to do the sound check two hours before because he was coming for the rehearsal, the sound check itself at five. It was nuts. And another crazy thing is we're doing a run through at two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. And they do these tours uh, of the of Radio City. And uh, while, yeah. we're, while we're oh, rehearsing, wow. there's a group of people. And they're looking up like, and like people are looking at each other like. Yeah, this can't be. This can't be. And then at the end of it, I think I can't remember it verbatim, but Paul said something to the effect. Well, thank you very much for a very small but enthusiastic group of people. <laughs> and it was like it was it was priceless. These people uh, are walking through through Radio City Music Hall and hearing Paul McCarty warm up and singing birthday. Who wow. gets that? Yeah, yeah. Talk about the right place at the right time. Yeah. Boy, no, Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, while we're on the topic of the Beatles, I want to hear the story about the the last John Lennon show and how that all yeah, came Yeah, wow. I was, I was in a band called Bomp years ago, uh, and they were originally called Dog Soldier because that was a line from John's record. And the guys had already sung on Walls and Bridges, a couple of guys, John Cobert and uh, Joey Danbro, the guitar player at the time. And anyway, um, they were doing this a song, a, a show, a tribute to Sir Lou Gray. We, we'd met with John a couple of times we done some uh, TV overdub or, or uh, um, we mimed a bunch of stuff, but um, it was <laughs> the crazy thing was uh, Yoko wanted us to wear these skull caps and have a, 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 a they made a, a, an impression of our face that we were on the back. And it was supposed to say her, she wanted to uh, point out the duality or the, uh, the, the, the duplicity in, in the, uh, united states so we had two faces but um it was just bizarre it was a big uh certainly gray is a great is a um like a big uh i guess he's um a, 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 
a big production, like an Ed Sullivan kind of like big star of stars. And uh, all these people, Julie Andrews with it, Tom Jones, Peter Sellers. It was this whole long night, but it was just bizarre because huh. I keep saying bizarre because it was like out of body. Um, we just, we were just lip syncing. We did slip and slide and imagine. But the, the fact that the last time John Lennon sang imagine I was on stage. That's mm. the part that still freaks me out. Sure. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Who else was on stage with you? Do you remember? Uh, this, the, the band called Bump. It's uh, uh, John Colbert, um, Angelo Curie, Vinnie Apice, Carmen Apice's brother, oh, played drums Vinnie? in the band. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, five, there were three horns. And by that time, we were on to the second or third guitar player. The band just kept morphing and things like that. But uh, it's just some crazy stuff. Some crazy, crazy stuff. And how things happen, you know, fast forward in, uh, let me see, that was 75, right? I think 74, 75. Fast forward 1985, I'm playing with Yoko. And uh, myself, Jimmy Ripp, this guy, um, Phil Ashley, a keyboard player, one a great, talented group of guys. And we're rehearsing in the Dakota. Oh, wow. Now wow. at the Dakota, and I go look out, there's a, a little window, a little frame. And as I walk closer, I notice and I see a pair of glasses in uh, in the frame. John's bloodstained glasses. Oh, no. Jeez. Were there. Wow. She And it was like overlooking strawberry fields. Hmm. So I'm like, it was like wow. a moment that it, that's one of the strangest things that ever happened because, um, you know, I got, I got the gig with Yoko from my friend Jimmy Ripp and this guy, Phil Ashley, but no one ever expected it. We were up there, Jimmy Ripp playing John's choral sitar, mm. you know, oh, wow. and uh, it was just it was just crazy. But to see those glasses on that on that windowsill just freaked me out. Not bad. It's understandably no, so. I'm sure you've seen that there's been pictures of that, you know, there's a white piano mm. and there's, yeah. the, oh, yeah. there's the glasses. I was there and it just blew oh. my mind. Yeah. Wow. But we have to get something less less morbid. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's okay. It's just a, wow. I'm I'm just letting that soak in for a second. Wow. Yeah. Moment, man. So we've touched on um, a lot of things that have happened in your career, but obviously the big pillar is is, is Billy Joel. So since oh, 1982, no doubt. no doubt. My question to you would be: Why do you think you know? I read that you're the you know longest the guy that's been in Billy's band the longest. Why do you think that is? Why does it work so well? Well, it's my fabulous personality, obviously. You know? <laughs> well, no question. <laughs> no, 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 you know what it is? You got you to gotta come prepared and you can't, you only play for two hours and there's 22 hours off stage. If you're on a bus or wherever you are, you have to get along. And there's a yeah, certain energy. Yeah. Uh, there's that part of it. But I think if I'm allowed to say so, I think Billy and I have a very close, uh, we have the same, with huge Beatle fans. We love R&B. We're huge traffic fans. Mm. All this all this connectivity. He'll start playing a song, like he'll start playing a Hendrix tune. Whatever, whatever. I just want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I want you to holler. Up from the skies. Yeah. yeah and, I, and then I say, I just want to know about your different life. The, 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 your fancy flow. I heard, Sim, you got your fancy uh, families. I'm, I'm saying I know all the words. So, mm. we, in fact, yeah. we did a thing... Um, for um, VH1, and I think it was VH1, and Billy starts playing uh, White Room. In a white room with black curtains. And so, I'm so, so he looks over here, Black Room Country, no gold face. So 
it's like Mark knows the words. So I guess part of it yeah. is my background that I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a, a few years younger than him. Uh, I've been through every incarnation of this band and I'm yeah. proud as a peacock to still be part of it. It's a, uh, Look, they're great sax. They're better saxophone players. They're better. Th I do a lot of different. I can tell you, every band that I've been in, I've sang or sung every different voice, from the highest voice of uh, uh, of uh, longest time to the lowest part of the longest time. Any part that had to be sung, I could remember all these different things. I guess the, the short answer is, I, I just uh, I'm a chameleon. He called. He used to yeah. call me the Fred Stanley, who was a, a, a Yankee. A ball player played every position. Hmm. I think, except nice. pitch. I think he caught one game. But so I mean, what you need me to do, I'll do. And hmm. what you don't need me to do, I won't. I won't bitch about. Because that's the other thing. People get trippy. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that used to be my part. Well, I used to be the golden boy, and then all of a sudden, Crystal came in, and she's got the the uh, the light shines on her. Yeah. And now this guy, Mike Del Judas, who's a tremendous talent, killer voice. Uh, I mean, the guy is insane. Uh, so now he's a feature, but the key is to, to be hey, a team player. Like, yeah. Correct. Uh, I look at myself like, look, Billy's a quarterback. Okay. Billy's an older quarterback. He needs another second in the pocket. I'm going to throw a block. So if I give him that one more second and he could find somebody downfield or if I'm, if I'm, I don't need to be a three point shooter. I need, I need to feed the ball, whatever mm -hmm. it is. I'm part of a team and I've been a different part of a different, of every different team. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's my, I won't say lack of ego because we all have egos, but it's my lack of taking, taking crap personally. Somebody yeah, else is going to do that part. Sure. You know, some, now Chris was going to sing that part. That's cool. Great. Oh, Chris was going to put the triangle in his man. I, I played that on the right. Oh, she's got no problem. Uh, Mike Del Judas is now going to sing the part. No problem. The beauty is he's great. She's great. And I'm really good for letting them do it. And I think Billy, I think, I think the, the, uh, the, uh, the crazy thing as I'm answering my que the question, I hope I'm not too long with it. It's oh. Billy's ability to see the right person. Hmm. And he knows that I'm not going to trip out and I'm not going to cause a problem. Hey, I got fired for a minute. Nobody knows that when, when he fired Liberty, he thought I didn't, I, I was out of the band for a while, but how hmm. I approached it, I got, by God's grace, I'm back in. It's a matter of, short answer, do the right freaking thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it'll come back tenfold. And I think Billy's always, uh, well, the first time I uh, auditioned for Billy, uh, we played three songs, and at the end of uh, the solo, Just The Way You Are, he stopped the band. I'm like, oh, crap, did I screw it up? He walks up to me, gives me a kiss. He goes, as long as you want to be, as long as you want to be in my band, you got a part. And that mm. was it. Nice. And he's kept his word, and I guess I kept mine. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's uh, forty. It's coming up forty years. <laughs> I'm expecting a gold watch. <laughs> right. No kidding. Yeah. Let's talk artwork for a minute with you. Um, you know, Hughes designed so many album covers over the years, and we like to get into artwork. So I'll, I'll pass it over to Hugh real quick. Well, there's so many layers to the way we can approach this topic. Obviously, the the, the first one would be to say. How much did album covers speak to you when you were a kid, when you were first buying albums? Uh, there's a picture of me as about a 10 and a half year old kid with trying to have a Beatle haircut, holding a Spanish guitar with the Beatle album cover. That Beatle <laughs> album cover 
was the first thing that spoke like nothing else. Meet the Beatles. Meet the, the Beatles. Yeah. And you turn it over, and I'll tell you what really resonated with me, the boots. I wanted yeah. those freaking boots. My old man wouldn't let me buy those boots. But <laughs> you see the posturing. You see, if I remember right, George, George is standing there. He's, he's on his heel a little bit. And they just had this swagger. And then I'd read about them. And then that would go on to when I started to read the Rolling, the, the, uh, Rolling Stones records. And then the Hendrix stuff just blew my mind. So album covers, uh, album covers and liner notes are, are what, what I think is missing in, with a lot of young people. They just think you download this and I'll buy that and I don't buy that or I just steal this or whatever it is. The yeah. artwork, the artwork was so important. So yeah. important. Uh, think about things really gears or think about oh, uh, yeah. Axis Bold as Love. One yeah. of my right. favorite album covers of all mm -hmm. time. Uh, Rubber Soul. Beautiful, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it just it takes you right back, and I could see artwork and just it just it, it immediately it immediately brings and I and I it holds me back. And I want to I want to go back to that place. You know what we used to do? We said <laughs> when it was a double album, it was great. You get this, get the seeds, get that out <laughs> yeah. of the way. You know, <laughs> perfect. <Yeah. laughs> so look, the the artwork is to me the artwork and the and the liner notes yeah. are, are, are such a great part. Mm -hmm. because oh, yeah. it really gives you insight first of all the picture is like and every beetle well i'll go with the beetles because that's the first one like oh they're cool then the yeah. second one is like they they're growing their hair a little long and then the third one like the, the rubber sole it's like you see the you see the, the progression of this band and right. i don't know about you but i identified with every one of them by time sergeant pepper came out yeah who, yeah we were, we were tripping we were like psychedelic it was like oh that uh i mean 1967 to me is the greatest most fertile year in rock and roll hmm. interesting you know, yeah, we, yeah. classic, classic well, stuff can I, give, can I give you i'll give you five five Please do. yeah yeah are you experienced and access bold as love yep moby grape hello hello <laughs> and what day did moby, what day did moby grapes album come out do you know I think it's the same day that Sergeant Pepper Sergeant did. Pepper, fucking, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so think about think about that. So this is yeah. and those those bands crushed me. How about Disraeli Gears and Fresh Cream and Disraeli Gears came out. Uh, yeah. The Rascals yep. uh, collection, Whiter Shade of Pale, The Doors, Janis Joplin. Mm. It, it was just this, and at the same time you had uh, Richie Havens and DJs at the time were allowed to play whatever they dug. Yeah. And right. all this is going on, you while this while this is going on, I'm checking out different covers. Like, whoa, whoa! And it's just like it, it, I remember going through. Uh, my friend Jeff Bader had all these albums in the um, in the old milk cartons, like with the old the crates, uh, like yeah. the, the milk crates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. You look through, whoa, whoa, whoa! Look at that! Look at that. And, and you'd start just tripping out. Yeah, and they they immediately brought you someplace. Artwork yep. was it was it went hand in hand. Like a look at the look at the light shows. Mm -hmm. it yeah. was all the stimulation right. that was coming at you it and th there were times i might have been stoned that's a very good possibility but i'm listening to a record and i'm just glued to this album cover or the artwork and then i mean how about how about a revolver which is my yeah. favorite beatle album oh, yeah. yep mine yeah. too klaus vorman's drawing yeah, exactly yes. exactly but it just it just takes you there the flip side of a first reaction i have a theory obviously and we all obviously adhere to this music is memory and the visual impact of artwork 
with that music is also part of our memory. So your first reaction is, is obviously the shelf appeal, the fact that you're responding to the progression of the Beatles, that we can still very fondly, almost romantically, recall those covers because they're so brilliant and they're so uh, such a part of our f- the fabric of our life too you right. know it takes us takes us right back oh man it, it, look these are things we want they were our idols they were that that the, we aspired to do that i'll tell you what uh, and we're all we're talking about be great when that record came out and don's got his finger on the washboard oh yeah board, man classic like how freaking cool is he you know he can, <laughs> he, look i got away with it uh, and uh, I mean, that record was a, a well, a you know, landmark. A, a landmark. And the other problem with that, Clive decided, you heard, you know, the story, I'm sure, Dan. Yeah, but let's, you tell well, it. Well, what, what, from what I understand is it came out the same day as Sergeant Pepper and Clive had this brilliant idea. So he thought, I'm going to release five songs, right? Uh, five songs. Five singles all at once. You, you talk about getting in your own way. Omaha should have yeah. been, hey, Grandma, Omaha. So get, get one song out, get the next yes. song out. Then once you have established, then you then you release 805. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's what I would have done. Hey, yeah. Omaha or hey, Grandma, whichever one you want to do first, and then flip them around. So let's say yep. Omaha, hey, Grandma, 805. Yep. Then, then, you, then you have a career. But they were shot in the foot from day one. Yeah, such a the DJs didn't know what to do. Well, yeah, I got five records here. I'm just not going to play any of them. Mm. They were confused. You know? They were they confused. Were confused. They, one of my favorite records of all time. Don, uh, 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 rather, uh, Bob Mosley's voice. Oh, man. Kills me. Kills me yeah, to this the day. White Otis Redding. Yeah. And his bass playing. Oh, yeah. Just you make sure I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that? Tell me why does my love come and go? I don't know. Oh yeah, bitter wind off the Wow record. Oh man, well a man without love is no man at all. It's so inside of me, I can't help it. I'm sorry, I went left. No, this is great. Hopefully that record that, that you've heard, Mark, and that, that you did the album cover for, hopefully that's going to come out the first of the year. I hope so. It's great stuff, and we need to hear that. We need to hear that. And uh, again, people need to stay out of their own way. But to your point about letting it happen and staying out of your own way, yeah, you have to. You can't plan it. you got to let it happen. Yeah. 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 How do you, what, what, did, what comes to you for inspiration? Like, what, how do you allow that to manifest it usually comes from a good title uh, i think words are you know are rich whether it's a, a succinct title or a lyric that I, I have to kind of wade through and harvest the imagery from that uh-huh. word words are a good place to start i don't always have the luxury of going into the studio and hearing the tracks and responding to music and sometimes as a selfish art director i don't kind of care you know when, <laughs> when, rush, when rush comes to me with a title like moving pictures I don't need the music. I knew exactly what to do with that. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good, a good title is a great springboard um, for, and again, I, I work pretty isolated and, and I think that served well the process because it allowed me to deviate from that expected norm, you know, just because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to adhere to, to trends. I want to hopefully, you know, be free enough to keep, Keep the unexpected and the uh, improbable. Well, you want to create. You want to create. The, yeah. The, the yeah. keys. I mean, the, basically, uh, trending is one thing, but the, you know, at a certain point in time, I want. I want. 
different ice cream. <laughs> What's it to do? Right. Without being indulgent, that's the danger. You know, I heard the title again. Rush was a was a very fertile band for great titles. Just Neil, you know, bless mm-hmm. his soul. Amen. Um, was an amazing, amazing lyricist and amazing wordsmith. And he came to me with the title Signals, which was kind of intimidating because it was just so broad a topic. And we went to Marconi, Tesla, all these different places. But when I suddenly fell across the idea of a Dalmatian sniffing the base of a red fire hydrant, <laughs> the band and management band got a little bit unsettled by it. Man- <laughs> man- management stormed out of my studio, really upset no kidding. about it. <laughs> but it, it became one of their favorite, their, their most famous covers. So you have yeah. to trust your instinct sometimes too. Yeah. Instincts are everything. We really appreciate your time today, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And, and I got to tell you, uh, well, the, this is the end of the podcast that, you know, I want everyone to know that I have a lot of stories and some of these that I just told, some of them are true. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we'll try to, we'll try to decipher what that is true, right. I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. All right, Mark. See you. Peace, man. <laughs> Peace and love, gentlemen. Take care. Bye. Dream, steal, and It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.